0: This is episode 739 of the Pixelated Sausage Podcast for the week of Friday, September 25th, 2020. I am your host, Mark Krishnez, and today I'll be talking about Nexamon Extinction and Rebel Galaxy Outfall. And that's, that's it. Is it going to be a short show? I don't know, because I'll probably be rambling on about this and that. But in terms of what I've been playing and what new games I've been playing, that is it, and that is all. At least. In terms of what I can talk about, but before I get to all of that, there was at least one big piece of news that happened since the last episode. I am, of course, talking about the acquisition of ZeniMax Media. I think that is their their name and all their subsidiaries. <laughs> subsidiaries is that is that how you say that word? I don't know. I never use that word. All the companies under that umbrella, which includes Bethesda Softworks and Harking Studios and blah, 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 blah. The most interesting thing about this, so Microsoft purchased ZeniMax and everything for $7.5 billion. And the most interesting thing about this is that I believe, and I could be wrong, but with this acquisition, they have acquired a handful of studios, like I just mentioned, but one of those studios is Tango Gameworks, the studio that has made The Evil Within 1 and 2 and is currently working on Ghostwire Tokyo. And why they're an interesting pickup is because I am almost 100% sure that they are the first Japanese studio Microsoft has ever purchased or, or had in general. Like I, I don't think they've ever created their own and then dismantled it. So that is a nice step forward in diversifying their catalog their their studios it is by no means something that is going to suddenly make the xbox and everything xbox related relevant in japan but it is a step forward it is nice to have a japanese studio under their belt and yeah I, i i know that's by no means the biggest bit about this news bethesda is way bigger with their ips elder scrolls fallout and of course id software with doom we have quake there was a tweet from john carmack saying hey now that microsoft has acquired them, microsoft has always been a really good parent company and maybe i could actually come back and work on something with you guys again and people are i think people were were saying oh he can he can work on doom again but i'm more in the camp of hey when's the last time we had a, a good quake game or even a new quake game at all i know there is quake with ray tracing on pc which looks really good i would love for that to just come to consoles but i would love to see an actual new quake game there was quake 4 which i think was the last proper quake game at least numbered quake game in the main series but then i think the actual last quake game proper was enemy territory quake wars which i think i had an okay time with at the time and i think that was like an early xbox release i mean they both were I think quake 4 was a launch or near launch title and then enemy territory was maybe a year after launch or a year and a half i think it was pretty soon after launch but it's exciting news and i think not to just pat microsoft's back too much i think it is good that they're still honoring the deals made prior to the acquisition so ghostwire tokyo and deathloop will both still be exclusive to ps5 for however long those exclusivity windows were so that's a nice thing that they maybe had to do i don't know if they if they tried to break that agreement that could have maybe led to lawsuits so i don't know if it's just them being nice or if it's them having to do it or having to deal with the repercussions of trying to break those agreements and this of course means that A potential Fallout New Vegas 2 from Obsidian is now a possibility. It's also weird having Obsidian, who is the studio who's making games like Fallout and Skyrim that people actually like, and Bethesda, who hasn't made a game people liked in a long time. Fallout 4, I think, was relatively well acclaimed by both critics and the general audience but of course the only game i believe they've put out since then is fallout 76 the elder scrolls online was not made by them so yeah i think that's it and of course we have starfield coming from them next whenever that will be and elder scrolls 6 after that so they don't have a new fallout game on the docket anytime soon so obsidian could make that happen but of course Obsidian has avowed which they're working on and I'm assuming they're going to continue with the outer world so a new Fallout game is maybe something that is a pipe dream kind of thing at this point because Obsidian has moved on and Bethesda hasn't moved on but it's not in the rotation they put out two in a row and that's enough or they put like three in a row in a way I think cuz Fallout Shelter was around the fallout 4 launch right which would have been after skyrim so they've just been all over fallout here's a mobile game here's an online multiplayer one here's a proper sequel and that's it but of course with this the rumors have continued with microsoft buying sega which is not happening or at least it hasn't happened yet i i still find it really hard to believe that could ever happen It would be awesome. It would be a great acquisition for some of the IPs that Sega has, along with Atlas, which they own. It would be a huge step forward in making Xbox a more viable platform in Japan. I also think that in terms of acquisitions, it would make a hell of a lot of sense. If they have the money, I don't know how much it would cost. But I feel like it just makes so much sense for Sony to purchase Square Enix and just make their games exclusive. And going back to that, Microsoft and Phil Spencer have come out and said that they will be making future games from studios under that umbrella exclusive on a game-to-game basis. So you can probably expect the big, big games to still be multi-platform. And the argument would just be, hey, you can spend $70 to pay for the Elder Scrolls 6, whatever, on PlayStation Five or PC or or whatnot, or you can be a Game Pass subscriber and play it for free on Xbox or PC Game Pass. And so that would be a pretty strong argument in that sense, where you'd be like, okay, you can pay 70 bucks for the new Doom, for the new Elder Scrolls, for the new Hey Quake, come on, come on, give me a new Quake and all that jazz. Or get it all for free on day one with Xbox and Game Pass. So this really, I think, is a big play for Game Pass and just getting that subscriber base up because I think maybe last month they revealed new numbers again and it's now up to 15 million people, which is crazy because I'm pretty sure it was just two months ago or maybe a little bit longer than that that they revealed that they had surpassed 10 million users, which is just like the number of people who have Game Pass is getting to a ridiculous percentage of Xbox users. I think at this point it won't be long before 50% of Xbox owners have Game Pass. And it may even be that because I don't I don't know how many when uh, none of us know how many Xbox consoles have been sold and how many actual users that equates to. Because with both PlayStation, Xbox nintendo there are always people who have purchased multiple consoles for instance i purchased a xbox one at launch so i had that then i got the xbox one i don't think it was a premium edition but the the white fat one that came with quantum break so that's two then i got an xbox one s so that i could give my fat to my dad that's 3. I don't know why about this. I bought this. I don't know if the X just wasn't a thing or if it was still rumors. Then I got an Xbox One X for myself. I gave my dad the S and the the fat white one. I got I got rid of the original launch Xbox One. It didn't have any kind of fancy thing on it. You just had the thing on the controller. So it was just like, oh, God, what? I had so much fun playing games on Xbox One at launch. I still think Rise is a fantastic game. Dead Rising 3 is fantastic. Forza Motorsport 5 was really strong. So I don't regret it in the sense that I didn't have fun with the system. But just looking at the cost and comparing like the Xbox One with Kinect at launch compared to what you get with the Xbox One X, it's just like, it's crazy. But then I bought an Xbox One X for myself at launch because I wanted that extra power and all that jazz. And then much later down the line, I got my father an Xbox One X for very cheap when they had all those crazy sales for like $300 with the Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order game bundled in. I was just like, a fucking okay. My my dad just got a 4K TV. He can utilize this now. And he loves playing these games, and some of these games that he wants to play just don't look great or perform well on the S, like Call of Duty and, and whatnot. So... I, as a single individual, have purchased five Xboxes. Just saying that out loud, I hate myself a little bit. But that means that the number of consoles out there does not equal the number of users of actual owners out there. So very well, the number of Game Pass owners and Xbox owners could be at 50% at this point. And the same goes for PS4 in terms of just the raw numbers. I own two PS4s, I got the original one, whatever, just standard in addition, it's not a fat one, and then I got a slim one so I could give my old one to my dad along with PSVR, because he was really interested in VR, but uh, yeah, so that's, that's two PS4s for me alone, as someone who doesn't even give a shit about PS4 all that much, not that I haven't had some great experiences, I still think that Ratchet and Clank for PS4 is the best exclusive of any console this gen. But yeah, I'm just I'm excited for Next Gen to get here. I have everything pre-ordered and I am ready to go. I am super excited about the Oculus Quest 2 to go back to VR in general. I enjoyed certain experiences with PSVR, specifically anything that involved using a controller and just using the VR to see around the space or get immersed in the space. I think wipeout VR is still the absolute best experience for me or at least I think it is the best controller experience I've had with VR but there are games that I really wanted to get into and I've wanted to try but I opted not to because for me at least I know this is a case by case basis and some people have had great luck some people have had terrible luck for me the hand tracking on PS4 with PS VR is terrible I enjoyed super hot so much super hot vr so much when it worked but it worked on such an infrequent basis and pretty much after every level i've talked about this before but pretty much after every level i would have to recalibrate one of my hands i think it was usually the left hand or maybe the right hand and that was a pain in the ass because it would constantly do that and what made it even worse was not that it happened after every level but the quickness of levels and you die and have to restart, it would happen then too. So if I died within five seconds or something because I just you know, wasn't able to duck enough or, or what have you, I would have to then put the game on pause and just say like, hey wait everyone let me recalibrate because I am missing a hand and I can't do shit with this. And I never felt like any game where you're using the hand tracking to throw things or manipulate stuff in that way felt good. So I'm excited to give VR another go with the Quest 2 because there are two things, as far as I'm concerned, to make VR a big hit amongst the general public. One, that's cost. I think the Quest with the 64GB 300 version is close. I think it's still maybe a little bit too expensive. $200, I think, is like the sweet, sweet, sweet spot But $300 is a great price for that. But also, I think they just need to be wireless. And the Quest is, of course, a standalone VR headset. You don't need to hook it up to your PC or a console or anything like that. You can for games that require that. You have the link cable or whatever it's called. But I'm just super pumped to play a lot of rhythm-based games because that is what I've wanted to play more than anything. I almost got Beat Saber for PSVR. But then I was like, with my experience... Using games that require hand tracking, it's shit. And if that is the case with PSVR, it's just gonna it's just gonna disappoint me. And I didn't want to be disappointed anymore. So, I am ready to just play a bunch of VR games with the Quest. And I hope more than anyone that I end up falling in love with VR and and find out why so many people love it. But I also have to go back to PSVR and play at least a few games. I should give Astrobot a shot because that is a controller-based game and i i feel like i would probably enjoy that quite a bit but that is enough of all that jazz rambling on about this and that i think it's time to get on to what i've been playing so Nexamon extinction is a game that is very much a pokemon inspired game that came out on pc ps4 and switch maybe a month ago and then it was delayed for whatever reason on xbox one i'm not sure but it did just come out on xbox one and that is where i've been playing it i got a code for it and it is very much a pokemon game in the more classic sense the 2d pokemon games where it is grid based movement and all that and it's it's a solid pokemon like but it lacks the polish so I will be putting up an Attack the Backlog episode for Pokemon Sword and Shield in the near future, and you'll be able to hear about how I've realized that Pokemon just isn't my jam anymore, but in comparison, you still see that polish there that is missing from Nexamon Extinction, just in terms of the the visuals and just like the way everything works, it, it feels a little bit clunky. And I think it may in part be because this was stemmed from a mobile game. I think maybe Nexamon minus Extinction was originally a mobile game. So it has some of that roots. Like it it feels like it has roots in a mobile game. Not that this game specifically feels like a mobile game with its UI or anything. It just feels like it could have been ironed out in, in many ways. But you have your basic story, your character you have a a fair amount of pre-built designs that you can go with which is nice you can't customize your character's look but you do have at least a few dozen different looks that are pretty distinct to, to go with and then you have the basic introduction where okay you're in like this hogwarts looking type of school thing and you're talking to a bunch of people you eventually go around and get yourself one of the nexamon and there are 381 nexamons in the world and unlike pokemon you don't only have three different types to choose from there are nine types in nexamon and you could choose one of any of the types right off the bat you don't really have a great idea of what you should go with or or anything about it you just kind of have to, to guess it which is fine but after you do this the game pretty much opens up, and it's just, it is very much so a pokemon as Pokemon game. You have your shrubbery, you go in the tall grass, and then you'll battle Pokemon that way. And <laughs> I mean, you're not battling Pokemon, you're battling Nexamon. I mean, even the fact that it's Nexamon and that is similar to Pokemon is just maybe a little bit weird, but whatever. But you go into the tall grass, and it's not random. You will see that a piece of tall grass is shaking, which means, okay, there's an Examon hiding there. If you want to engage, you can go there. And you have the equivalent of Pokeballs, which are like these pyramid-looking things. I forget what they're called. They're like an X-amon cube triangles or whatever. And the one of the nice things I do like about this game, because there, there are things that I appreciate about this, how transparent it is with some of the information so when you are going to catch a pokemon it will give you a percentage of how likely you are to catch it so it'll say that okay the health is this low and that means that because of this specific part of it it'll say that you are 16 17 percent likely to catch it and then it'll have other categories as well and when you are selecting your pokeball equivalent whatever type it is, it'll say, okay, using this one will increase the catch percentage by 10 additional percent or 12 additional percent, etc. And I like having those numbers there because those numbers exist in Pokemon, but you have to just go on to a website or whatever to find out all that information and having it actually in game is great. Then in addition to all these numbers, when you actually throw the Pokeball equivalent, I wish I remembered the name of it. But when you throw it at the Nexumon, you will get a little circle of button prompts that are about maybe 8 or 10 button prompts. And I'm not sure what this does. I'm guessing, I don't remember if it told me, I'm guessing by completing this in the allotted time, you have maybe 5, 6 seconds to do it. And I usually am able to do it in just a few seconds. It's pretty easy. But I'm guessing that this increases your chances of catching the Nexumon. And yeah, so far, it seems like if... The percentage to catch an X amount is 25% or higher. It's almost a guarantee. I haven't had any issues at all. I've had issues trying it below because I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to see if I can catch... Like I wanted to know if that little quick time event thing is super powerful in terms of catching them. If that like increases the likelihood drastically. I'm not going to damage this Pokemon to do anything. I'm going to see if I can do it with the lowest percentage possible and then it did not work so there is that but then some of the stuff i don't like is that you don't have just by default experience share amongst your party so if you are battling pokemon if you're battling nexomon whether in a fight against another trainer or whatever the hell they're called or in the wild You will only get experience for the Neximon you're using in the battle. However, they do have these Synergy cores, and I think there are a few tiers of these cores to give you more percentage per battle, but if you're not using these, if you don't have any initially, you do find a lot of them pretty early on, but if you don't use them, then you will not be sharing experience. And... With the advancements in the Pokemon games and Pokemon-like games, like I, I don't know when that changed, if that did change specifically with Sword and Shield, where every Pokemon in your party got experience. It just feels like, man, I don't need this extra system in the game. There are plenty of things going on in Nexomon. I don't need to deal with this crap where I have to get these Synergy Cores and give them to these Pokemon so that they will get experience When they are not actually fighting. It just seems like an added thing there. That doesn't need to be there. To make it ever so slightly more complicated. The battling. Seems to get. Much more difficult. Way faster. I mean in Pokemon. I don't think I ever really had much of a challenge ever. So it it is a little different in that sense. Where I think Nexomon does get challenging. Pretty quickly. And that. Exacerbates the whole experience share thing. Again, like I said, you will get those synergy cores pretty early on. I I think I had enough to fill out my party right away, but since the game will require a fair amount of grinding, it just seems like that system didn't need to be there. And then in terms of battling, unlike Pokemon, where you have a move set and every single move has a certain number of uses that you can refresh by using a consumable or by going to a Pokey Mart, not pokey Mart, a pokey what the pokey center that's what they're called by going to those or in this case in this world you just go to like a medic a hospital dude a dude with a red cross above his head instead of having that kind of system you have a stamina system for your next amount so you can use any move as much as you want but they will all use a certain amount of stamina and of course more powerful moves will use more stamina and that means you'll be limited to how many of those you can use. And I don't have an issue with this system, but it seems like you'll definitely need to go back and heal your Nexamon more frequently or have consumables to revitalize them more frequently, which is another little annoyance. Even even going in and, and battling the Nexamon in the wild to raise experience, it just felt like the game right off the bat is... A little bit more challenging and unforgiving than a pokemon game which kind of sucks in the sense that yes there could be those people who love pokemon and want a game that is like pokemon and is more challenging but like the world is so colorful and inviting and you look at it and you're like okay i want a pokemon game but i don't have an nintendo platform which is a really weird Hypothetical to think that somebody is really into Pokemon and doesn't own a Nintendo platform. But let's just say that is the case. You look at this game, and you're like, oh, this is like Pokemon on PS4 and PC and Xbox One. I can play Pokemon without having a Nintendo platform. And then you play, and you're like, Man, this isn't as easy to get through as a Pokemon game. It's a bit of a bummer, especially if you have kids and you're like, hey, kid, I know you like Pokemon, but yeah, I'm not buying you a Nintendo platform because I don't want one. i I have the Xbox, so you can play an It's like the equivalent of instead of giving your kid Lego, you give them Mega Blocks or whatever the hell it's called instead. Still, it works pretty well, but you know it's not the same. And that that is basically what Nexamon Extinction is. It is the Mega Blocks of the Pokemon Lego games, but it's 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 all right. I think it's definitely worth checking out because again. To, to reiterate that final point if you don't for whatever reason have a nintendo platform this is a pokemon ass pokemon game on other consoles which is great to see i mean i love seeing more stuff like this i, I want to see more games like this and i think there are some pretty decent ideas in there uh if you are someone who misses the older take on Pokemon that 2D take and you, you haven't liked it since it's jumped to 3D which I'm sure there are people out there who feel that way you know give it a go I, there there are so many Nexamon to catch again I think there are 381 I, I know there are over 300 I think or 381 is the number but like if Pokemon is your jam and you've played enough Pokemon Sword and Shield or you don't own Nintendo platform or whatever your, your state of being is But you want that Pokemon feel. Nexomon Extinction is definitely worth checking out. And then Rebel Galaxy Outlaw is a prequel to Rebel Galaxy. Which is a game I really, really liked. And I think it came out, man, in like 2015 or so. It's been a while. But Rebel Galaxy Outlaw came out on PC last year in August. And has now made its way to consoles. So... I got a code for Xbox One, and it is on PS4 and Switch as well. And it's a, it's a weird thing because I booted it up and I started playing. And I'm like, man, I don't know how I feel about this. I think I like Rebel Galaxy more. And then I booted up Rebel Galaxy. I'm like, oh, this is, this is not the way I remember. So the crux of what you're doing in Rebel Galaxy Outlaw is basically trading and fighting against potentially the the good guys the authorities if you decide to take the rebellious route or going against pirates and you're doing all this by taking missions from boards at different stations space stations and all that but you're basically just going to space stations getting missions joining guilds you can join the merchant guild or the mercenary guild you'll you'll get missions that could be take out these pirates over here, take these goods and deliver them to this location, and that's basically it. I think there are also like escort missions where it's like, okay, meet up with this ship and its convoy and protect it on its way to its destination. You can also when making your way through space to all these different places, come across distress beacons which will be little like side quests that aren't super substantial, but just like, okay, there's there's something here. There's an anomaly here. You can go check it out and maybe find some precious commodity that you can sell at a station or stuff like that and that's basically all there is to it but the reason why it wasn't clicking with me initially was because it is very cutscene heavy like so much of what you're doing in the game is is taking control away from you and trying to make it as quick as possible to get to specific pieces of action so Whenever you have a destination that you can go to, when you're locked onto it, you can just hit the autopilot mode or whatever, and it'll just give you a cutscene and then take you to that location, and you'll be there right away. And when you are within the right vicinity of a space station, you don't have to fly your way to the docking space. It'll just... Initiate a cutscene and you'll automatically dock. And you have all these little cutscenes that are basically making it a bit simpler and just taking away the control from you in situations where you don't really need to control it, but it just feels like I'm constantly having the controls taken away from me. like so much of this game does just feel streamlined one for a controller. It feels great with controller. I've heard it feels bad with uh mouse and keyboard, but it feels streamlined to just make it a very friendly experience so when you initiate in space combat once you're locked on to an enemy or once you look at an enemy and you just hold the left trigger to lock onto them the spaceship i was i was about to say plane the spaceship will essentially move on its own and track it forever as long as you keep that trigger held down which makes the the fighting super easy uh, of course, you'll have to deal with other people if you're engaging with multiple opponents, so you can still take damage from them while you're focused on this one specific ship. But it does make tracking them easy. And I think it is something that needed to be done because it is easy to get lost in space. <laughs> Especially when looking at the map, you're not you're not sure, like, okay, there's somebody who's in front of me, but are they above me? They Are they below me? And that can be difficult so when you have the lock-in feature it does make that a lot easier but yeah it's that's pretty much all there is to it and and there is somewhat of a narrative in there as well that hasn't grabbed me yet but I after that initial bit of questioning as to whether or not I was into it I am really enjoying it I think it looks pretty good I I don't know if there was this filter or not but I feel like it has somewhat or just gives me the vibe of having somewhat of a filmy grainy filter on it which I like the look of and there's just an overall nice dirty aesthetic to it so the ships you have they aren't super clean and pristine they they look like they've been around the block a few times and I I dig that space aesthetic as opposed to very clean uh, and crisp looks like I don't want my spaceships to look like a PS5 but the, the difference is if you've played Rebel Galaxy and are interested in Outlaw, the, so I, I jumped back into Rebel Galaxy for a little bit and I can't say that this is exactly how it works because I just jumped into it and I didn't have any tutorials to remind me of how everything worked. But like in Outlaw, you are now able to fly in 3D space and just fly freely. Whereas in Rebel Galaxy, Sans the Outlaw, it was more like a pirate ship game in space so you'd have to imagine the vast emptiness of space all the stars and all that jazz as being a giant ocean and you were just a ship flying in i think you could have maybe transitioned between three planes but i don't even know about that but like the the battles in rebel galaxy felt much more like a battle between pirate ships than spaceships and in rebel galaxy outlaw it is a 3D space. You have a first-person perspective or a third-person perspective, but you are flying in a 3D space. It is not on a singular plane like it was in Rebel Galaxy, which I do prefer. And it, like, just like the colors and everything, like there is a nice overall style and aesthetic, again, for Rebel Galaxy Outlaw. And after getting over that initial hump of being like, Ooh, I don't know about this, I am enjoying just going on and taking on missions and interacting with people every now and again at the various trading posts or the, the stations and the bars. They do have a handful of mini-games, which I don't recommend you do. You can play them, and if you win, you can get parts. I won one and got a part. I played 8-Ball and, and won, but their, their games, at least 8-Ball, doesn't feel good. It is not a good version of video game pool. But the game itself, if you like that type of trading and combat, arcadey take—I—I I wouldn't call it a simulation game. It is very much an arcadey take on it. Uh, but if if you like something that you could probably play for a very long time, you can just ignore the story and just keep gaining credits and then buying new ships, bettering your ship, buying new equipment, new weapons, and all that stuff. I, I think it's definitely worth checking out. It's it's a fun somewhat relaxing game in that sense and i I really like the look of it the the particle effects like it it just it has a really great sci-fi look to it that is its own and somewhat distinct so again that is rebel galaxy outlaw and it's on everything i i really enjoyed it after again that initial bit where i was just like do i like this I really like the original game, and then I boot up the original game. I'm like, huh, this isn't exactly how I remember. I, I think they do streamline a fair amount of stuff in Outlaw and make it a better overall experience. And there is that narrative, if you're interested in that specifically, that you can follow. It's a game, too. Like, if you were interested in No Man's Sky, but you didn't care about planet exploration, but you just wanted to kind of do the stuff where you'd go to stations and do missions, like, it is in that ilk. But removes the part where you have to actually go on planets and then collect resources that way and do all the busy work. It is a, a more streamlined take on that type of thing. If you want the space exploration, like exploration is not right. Like you're not really exploring. Like you're you're not really going to come across any kind of amazing thing in, in the the world of Rebel Galaxy. It's pretty much all known quantities of, of what you're doing, what you're going to find, what you're going to run into, how things are going to play out. But it's well done and I am enjoying it. You know, I, I have many, many, many more hours to put into it. But my initial impression after the initial initial impression is very good. I'm digging it. So I definitely recommend Rebel Galaxy Outlaw to those who are interested in those types of games. And I also recommend Nexamon Extinction to fans of Pokemon and those types of games. You know, it it has its issues, but overall it's a, a decent Pokemon like and again it's an option on other consoles. So You don't need a Switch to play it, which is nice. I think it is available on Switch, which is funny for whatever reason. But uh, yeah, that is it, and that is all. Before I go, though, I did fall into a rabbit hole. and I I don't think I want to get into this. Maybe I'll, I'll leave this for a future episode, because I know that this episode has already gone pretty long. But I fell into a rabbit hole thanks to Remember the Titans of looking into... Movies based on true stories and how factual they are. And yeah, it, it it was a mistake. A big mistake. Of course, if a movie says it's inspired by true events or something along that ilk, it's much more forgiving. But man, it kind of ruined some things for me. I think though the only movie that has been fully ruined even though I still like a fair amount of it because of learning about these facts is remember the Titans because so much of remember the Titans is based around race relations and race tensions and all that stuff. And in actuality, none of that was really there with the team they're following in remember the Titans, this championship team from 1971 at that point, like in the movie, they make it seem like that was the year that they integrated the school That is not the case. It was integrated for six years or so by that point. Of course, we also have the school. I forget what the name of the school is, but like their team is an underdog in all their games. They're playing against all white schools every single time. They're not all white schools. All the teams they played against were integrated because again, it happened years after integration. And then they were not the underdog. They beat out their opponents that season something like 383 points to 38 points. And by the time of the championship game, they were the number two team in the country, not in their district, not in their state, in the country. So they weren't an underdog at all. The player who got paralyzed during a game and missed out on the rest of the season in the championship game, that didn't happen. He got paralyzed after the fact in a car crash. He played in the championship game. Was there racial tension on the team? No, from uh, accounts of the players who were actually on the team, like that wasn't really a thing either. And again, because the school had already been integrated for five, six years at that point, it's just it, it it is knowledge that has ruined a movie for me because of how heavy-handed all the race issues are in that movie in particular, and it's a bummer because I think there are a lot of great. Bits about that movie, but knowing all that information has just like it's ruined it for me. I I can't watch it because now I'm all I'm only going to think about that. Also, the the daughter she didn't give a shit about football, not the way she was in that movie. I was just like God, why why even make this based on a true story? Say inspired, but even even if in this particular case they said inspired by true events, I'd still be like man, inspired. Very loosely. Jeebus Quist. Oh, remember the Titans. I'll never be able to remember you the same way anymore. That's a shame. It's a real big shame. But uh yeah. That that led me down a horrible, horrible hole. And so much like it's just it's a nightmare. Another one I learned about was cool runnings, which is a fucking bummer to me. But I don't I play the first five minutes or whatever cool runs. I don't think. Or I skipped around. I need to watch the first 5-10 minutes of Cool Runs to see what they say. If they say based on a true story or inspired by a true story. I think there's another movie that I was watching that it just didn't say anything about a true story. So I was like, okay... You didn't say based on a true story at the beginning. I'm cool with that. Anywho, that will do it for this here episode of the Pixelated Sausage Podcast. Once again, I am your host, Marcus Ness. Y'all can find me on Twitter and pretty much everywhere at Sausage. The site is, of course, PixelatedSausage.com where you can find this podcast, Attack the Backlog, and Unamazingly Baca, all of which are available on podcast services across the globe. You can also check out the art I make on the site, and if you see something you like, you can purchase a print of the piece you fancy. And if you fancy... See the site in general, and anything that we do, please go over to patreon.com slash pxs and support us that way. As always, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy this here episode, and I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day and an absolutely lovely weekend. Bye!